As was mentioned, tonight we're beginning a new series on Ecclesiastes, and it's a book of the Bible that is in the wisdom literature section. Uh, Ryan already mentioned that. We're going to explore its message for us between now and winter break. And, um, and we'll talk about why we're going to explore this book, but it's the kind of book that really doesn't need much of an introduction. Because when you just start reading it, it introduces itself. <laughs> so I thought it might be really nice if, if uh, we could read it. We were going to just read the first, it's like the first lecture of the preacher. In the, it's like the first 11 verses of the book. I thought it would be nice to read it responsibly. How about I read the odd, um, and then you all read the even, or I try to bold it, or I italicize it, although it's a little hard to see on the screen. So if you just, I'll do the odd, you read the even, and we'll go together for the first 11 verses. Okay, so here's the word of God for us tonight through the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circus the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And there you go, period, end of the first lecture, class dismissed, go and be a good cheer, the preacher says. <laughs> uh, and you might be thinking after just, you know, listening to the first lecture of this book, the book is 12 chapters, this is maybe just the first section, um, you might be thinking like, why is this in our Bibles, right? And that's a really good question. If, if I was planning my birthday party, I probably would not invite the preacher to the birthday party. Um, but then again, maybe we ought to. Maybe we should. Uh, so as you know, the Bible has many, it has many genres. It, it, it has emotional and poetic prayers to God. It has prophetic warnings. It has wise sayings. It has historical narrative. It has epistles with teaching and encouragement. And then there's this. Uh, there's there's the preacher of Ecclesiastes. He's really a category unto himself, unique. Um, so who is this preacher? Let's, let's talk about that before we go back to the passage. Um, you know, you go to verse one again. Uh, the the words of the preacher, right? It, that's, how, that's how it starts. And so that word is koheleth in Hebrew. Some translations render preacher, some teacher, some quester. Uh, you know, when you, when, if you think of some of the uh, teachers or mentors or coaches in your life, and you think about the one who challenged you the most, who criticized you the most, who questioned you the most, or even asked questions that you didn't know the answers to, 
Take that mentor or teacher that you're thinking about and now multiply it by 10 and you've got the preacher of Ecclesiastes. So I, I like to refer to him, this is my own rendering, I like to refer to him as the dismantler because <laughs> he likes to take things apart. He likes to analyze ideas and show, show us how they really cannot stand up and hold the weight that we want them to hold. Um, so I call him the dismantler. But he is a dismantler with a purpose. He doesn't just do it. He doesn't just dismantle things just for the fun of it or for the sake of it. There is a purpose behind what he's doing. Yeah, so if you go to the next slide, right, if you think of Chip and Joanna Gaines or any kind of DIY show, right, it's like you dismantle things, but then there is a purpose to doing it. You, you, in the place of the destruction, you build something more beautiful, right? And, and that is the purpose of the preacher or the dismantler. He's not just doing it for fun. He's dismantling with a purpose so that in its place might be something more beautiful than, you know, than what existed there before for all of us, okay? So we can call him with the dismantler with a purpose. I like that. Um, so here, let's go, go to the next slide. Let's get Chip and Joanna out of there. All right. Um, so, so I said Ecclesiastes in, is in the wisdom literature, and just to show you a little bit before we jump back into Ecclesiastes of how it all fits together, just one example, I, I think this is really unique. Um, the wisdom literature in the Bible consists of five books. It's Proverbs, Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Okay, so those five. Take one theme, like the theme of integrity, and see how it just is woven throughout with the wisdom literature, some of these books in the wisdom literature. It's very different. Right? Take Proverbs 10.9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Really straightforward. You hear that and you're like, in my life, I have been on both sides of that coin. Right? I've walked in integrity and I have walked securely. I've been safe. And then I've taken a path where I deceive a little bit, I spin a half-truth, and I've been exposed, I've been found out, I've been discovered, right? We have felt that, we've experienced that. Proverbs is basically like, here are the rules to life, and they work most of the time, right? Um, Job, take the same thing of integrity. Job basically says, I was a person of integrity, or I am a person of integrity. God even commended me for my integrity, and yet I did not walk in secure paths. For my integrity, I found suffering and shame and loss, profound suffering, shame, and loss. And even through all that, even through the darkness, I held to my integrity and I still trusted God through it all. Very different than what you hear in Proverbs. And then you go to Ecclesiastes, you take the same theme of integrity, and the, the dismantler with a purpose, the preacher, asks questions like, oh, integrity. What's the point of that? Because when I look in the world, I see the unrighteous getting good things and the righteous not getting good things. Why be a person of integrity if it doesn't work? Or, okay, be a person of integrity, but in 100 years, even if you're a person of integrity versus a con artist or somebody else, 100 years from now, you're both dead, you're both in the same place, and you're both forgotten. And your little integrity and your little corner of the world really isn't going to change the course of this world. A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, this world is going to be exactly the same as it was 3,000 years ago. Your integrity means nothing. <laughs> so why be a person of integrity? That's what the dismantler does. It's tough. 
He asks really, really hard questions that we, frankly, most of the time lack the courage to ask. But they have to be asked, and they have to be answered. So that, that's, and so the point of wisdom literature, if you can hear, those are just three of the five books. Life is not a cookie cutter, right, where there's always just one answer to everything. Life is complex. It is multidimensional. And you just take one theme like integrity, and the wisdom literature is trying to get at that one thing from multiple angles. And so we need all of the wisdom literature to help us see the way that God sees the world more holistically. Okay? So we need even the dismantler with a purpose in Ecclesiastes. It is, he is good for us, even though we might not like walking into his classroom. It is there for our benefit. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes, and let's explore a little bit more what he has to say, like the, the passage that you and, you and I read together. Okay. So there's the key word in it, and you all said it with such gusto. It's the word vanity, right? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. That's the opening salvo. And so the Hebrew word for this word vanity is hevel, um, and it doesn't mean meaningless. Sometimes that's what you hear in some translations, and that's that's pretty unfortunate um, because you know meaningless means it's like completely devoid of value or purpose. And because when you read Ecclesiastes, you see like no, there are things that are not completely devoid of value and purpose. Like Ecclesiastes four six, the preacher says this. Better is a handful of quietness than two words than two hands full of toil. Okay, so if there's one thing that's better than another in life, then that one thing that's better has value and purpose. So meaningless is not the best translation. Okay, hevel it's often translated in the Bible as breeze or breath. Okay, Psalm one forty four, Lord. What are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a heaven. They are like a breath. Their days are like the fleeting shadow. Right? And, and so here are some visuals for you, right? As you think about heaven and breath or vapor, uh, there's the morning fog in the great smoky mountains. Um, you know, in the, well, go back, yeah. And you know, often the morning fog it just gets burned off by the by the afternoon sun, right? It's gone. I drove by those on my way to Oklahoma in my first year as a teacher out there. And there's Jamie Rankin. He was in the on-air-conditioned truck with me in the middle of August. We drove through the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> um, you've got the, yeah, the next slide, Justice. You know, there's you know a kid blowing out his birthday candles, and then what happens? There's like smoke, and then that smoke sort of goes to the room, and it's gone in like 30 seconds or a minute. Right? And then finally, there's sand castles on the beach, sort of the classic image, right? The, the preacher is saying, or the, the, this dismantler is saying, you know, everything is heaven. Everything is, is smoke or vapor. Um, it's, it's like a sand castle on the beach, everything. Uh, it's not meaningless, it's, it's just like, it's like, it's heaven, it's that. Um, you go to the next slide, Justice. The average person, so talking about breath, the average person will take 672 million breaths in their lifetime if you live to be 80 years old, right? And, and the dismantler says, life is the merest of breaths, right? Not, it, it, counting the 672 million would take a long time. 
But the way that life will feel, it will feel just like a few breaths compared to 672 million for so many reasons. And why does he say this? Why does he start with this and then go from there? And, and I think in our passage, he gives us three reasons why he says life is heaven. Life is like vapor. Okay? So the first is right here. Life is short. Verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. That's my phone screensaver right there. Right? So, yeah. And there we go. It's right there. It's been on my phone for a couple of years, right? It's Quandry Peak, which is in the middle of Colorado. It's one of the 14,000-foot peaks. And so a few years ago, I hiked up this peak uh, with my extended family. It was, a great, it was a great morning. And it's just so beautiful. I just, you know, I love seeing the sunrise there. It's been at like 5, 5.30. Um, and... It, you know, obviously, like, the reason I love to do that is like moments like that. It just you just see the beauty of the world. You see the beauty of what God has created, and you just sort of try to take it in. A phone does not do it justice, but I, that's a really good picture. But yeah, but the actual thing itself was a lot more beautiful, right? You all know that. Um, so a lot of the reason why I do that is to capture that beauty and just praise God. But another thought, sort of lingering back there. Right? Is verse 4 of what the preacher says, which is, okay, these mountains, that sunrise, those colors have been there for thousands of years. I captured it on one morning. And those beautiful things are going to be there thousands of years from now. And I am just like a fruit fly compared to that, right? I'm just, it, I'm heavy compared to that. That's, that's, that's one of the underlying messages. When you start to listen to things like this, that's one of the underlying messages of, of what you see, even in a beautiful moment like this. Um, the reality that life is short, it, it works its way into everything um, that we might hold dear. So, you know, you can go to the next slide. I'll talk about Roger Bannister in a second. But, like, the gifted writer, uh, the gifted artist, musician, composer, eventually slows down eventually can't perform or create in the same way that they once could. The gifted manager, businesswoman, doctor, lawyer, pastor, politician, again, eventually fatigues and cannot balance and juggle the same responsibilities they once did for the people that they were serving. Um, if you're a gifted athlete, I think you you feel this more keenly than most other people because the clock moves so swiftly for a gifted athlete. It's usually by the age of 25 or 30 that you're on the downhill side of that L-shaped curve when it comes to talent and skill and performance, right? So this is Roger Bannister. I don't know how you serve Roger Bannister. Um, I had that poster hanging up in my math classroom because he was just a bit of a, a hero to me. He was the first known person to break the four-minute mile barrier back in 1954. I, I believe that's the moment he did it. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I believe that's the case, right? So 1954, he was young, he was fast, he was swift. This is him in like 1988, just before he passed away. And so just a little bit about me. I just, when I see a picture, like, I, first of all, he's a legend. He's one of my heroes. He went on to be a medical doctor, lived a, quite a life. But um, when I see a picture like this, the competitive side of me, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but I'll admit it. You know what I say or think to myself? Look at that legend. I run too. 
I can take him in a race, <laughs> right? That's like my thought, and it's, it's, it's so bad that I'm that competitive, people are that competitive. But my second thought is, wow, like look at how much older he is, and actually the trajectory that he's on is the trajectory that I'm on. I'm not young, I'm not swift, I'm not fast like I once was, and I'm moving in the same direction he is, and so are you. We're all on the same continuum from here to here. And whenever I see athletes in their prime and then many decades later, these, these are the types of thoughts that you know swim through my head. And these are the types of thoughts that the preacher, the dismantler, wants us to think about, that life is short. And I get it. I get it. You're young, and when I was your age and I heard that life is short, I, I brushed it off. I'm like, you know what? That's... That's what older people say, <laughs> right? That's, that's what the dismantlers say. Life is short, yeah, 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 right? And it's, it's annoying. And actually, I think if the dismantler heard you say it, it's annoying, he would, he would take that as a compliment. He would, he would know that he's actually, he, he's actually getting through, right? But even annoying things can be true. Right? And I know even at your young age, you know life is short. You're experiencing that, and just, just one little piece of low-hanging fruit to prove it. If, if you are looking forward to Thanksgiving break, right, how many, uh, five days that you have? Five? Yeah, six? Whatever it is. If you're looking forward to it, because I know not everybody looks forward to those days, but if, if you are, you know that time is going to go so fast, right? And it's just one, yeah, sorry, Jerry. <laughs> And that's just one little bit of evidence that you and I have no control over the flow of time and how it feels. It is relentless, and often it goes so much faster than we want it to. Right? So life is short, the, this mantler says. Uh, so the second, the second point he tries to make is life is elusive. So um, yeah, that's right. Se se verses 7 and 8, all streams run into the sea. But the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You know, you think of smoke or fog, and I try to capture this in the image. You, you try to grab it. You try to hold on to it. And you know what happens. Maybe you can cup it, especially if it's dry ice fog. Maybe you can cup it for like a few seconds or a minute. I don't know but it's not gonna hold in your hands for very long. It's elusive, right? And, and life is hevel, not just short, but it's also hevel as in it's elusive. It slips through our grasp far too quickly. Um, the, the lasting significance that we want, the lasting permanence that we want, we cannot find it, ever. Um, you ever see, anybody in here see the documentary The Last Dance? Any big fan, like Chicago Bulls fans of documentary? Yeah, there's a handful of you. Yeah, there's some, right? So I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's, I can't, it's like 10, 10 different chapters, but it's, it's quite good. It's, it's much more than just about like the NBA and Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. He's like one of the central figures. But here's Michael Jordan. This is like an iconic image. This is like back in my teenage years that I you know, saw these things live. He won six championships, right? This is one of them. And here he is holding or hugging you know, the NBA championship, and he's crying, he's like fully satisfied, just what a moment, there's his father right next to him, you know, it's just unbelievable satisfaction, 
that, that he could accomplish and achieve this kind of feat in his lifetime, right? It does it six times. And then this is Michael being interviewed, you know, decades later after these six championships talking about the whole thing. And I, I, when I watched this interview, there was just this profound sense that he is grateful for what he achieved, but he is restless. He, he, he's, it's like the feeling that he had in this moment, it's gone and he doesn't know what to do. It's so apparent when you listen to the interview that he is searching and he doesn't know what to replace this with because he no longer has this, right? And that's, you know, so that's a documentary, but now how about a little, an example that's a little closer to home for you all? Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I just know that when you heard that you got into Princeton, right? I just know how you felt, right? You felt joy, you felt satisfied, you felt grateful and thankful, um, you felt relieved, you felt all of that, and you probably felt it all for days. Now, if there was something difficult going on in your life, then maybe not, right? But probably 98% of you felt that. And then what happens, right? You come, and there are midterms, there are theses, there's job searches, and, what, and I ask, where does joy, satisfaction, relief, gratitude, where did it go? It's elusive. If you have an expectation that you're going to hold on to that forever, it, it's just a bad expectation to have. It's, it's vapor that goes through your fingers. Okay, it's not 30 seconds, but it goes through your fingers. Everything goes through our fingers. <laughs> Life is elusive. You, it, it, we cannot be fully satisfied um, and permanent, in, a, in a permanent way. The dismant I love how the dismantler says it. So many rivers run into the ocean of our heart. And, and those rivers fill it for a season, right? Yeah, this, this is a good slide, Justice. You know, the rivers that flow into our heart and fill it for a season, for season achievement, uh, pleasure, influence, legacy, doing good in the world, right? Learning wisdom, these things fill our hearts and we feel good. And then the, the ocean of our hearts, it just never, ever gets full. It's never fully and permanently satisfied. It, it just sort of this, this endless cycle, this endless loop. I mean, he sort of gives that sort of that loop of like evaporation, and, you know, condensation, <laughs> precipitation. <laughs> I mean, it's there, but that loop—that's our hearts. It just—it's—it's it's endless, and just like the ocean never fills up, and, and the ocean never says, "We're done. No more rain. No more rivers. It's over." Our hearts are the same way. Right? He takes a lesson from nature. He says, that's us. And, and so, and I like how he puts it. You, you know, we don't look at the beauty of red and orange and yellow, of, of you know, beautiful fall day, or, you know, crispy blue skies. And we don't say, ah, oh, my eye has seen that beautiful thing, and now I never need to see another beautiful thing in my lifetime. I'm satisfied. That's it. We never say that, right? We wonder, what is the next beautiful thing I'm going to see? Or we never hear a beautiful symphony and say, ah, my ear is fully satisfied and now can rest and never hear another beautiful thing again. We never say that. And I mean, that's exactly what the dismantler is trying to, that's his point. He's saying life is so elusive. And as if that's not enough, but wait, 
There is one more thing that this pamphlet wants to say. Life is short, life is elusive, and life is repetitive. Oh, okay. Yeah. The sun rises, the sun goes down, it hastens to the place where it rises. And the point is it just rises and sets, and rises and just stop. Verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Like, I mean, you get this. We are fed and we're fed, but we're never fully satisfied. Right? We rest and we rest, and no matter how much we rest, within another 24 hours, unless you pull an all-nighter, but you shouldn't, within another 24 hours, you need to rest again. Right? You're never fully rested. We work and we work, and it doesn't matter if you work 10 hours a week, 40 hours a week, or 100 hours a week. No matter how much you work, there will always be work to be done in this world. It will never end. No matter how much you do, no matter how much all of you do. Right? We, it, 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 life is repetitive. Um, just as the sun rises and sets, so this is the part of the, the repetitive cycle of life. And so yeah, we got the hamster on the tread, the hamster on the wheel, the treadmill. You know what that is? Sisyphus. Yeah, you got it. Sisyphus rolling up the stone, and we have a fall back. It's all for you, humans against people. There you go. Um, and and we think we think I will escape. I will find a way to escape the repetitive nature of life. No, you won't. No, you won't. Yeah, and you might think, and we, we have our we have our different ways. I'm, I'm gonna just mention two. One is romance, right? You might think, if I can just find romance, that will give me the novelty, the, the, the experience, the, 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 you know, I think the romantic relationship will draw me out of that repetitive nature of life, and I'll get out of that rut. Okay? Well, let me just read you something that my wife sent me. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that funny? Yeah. She said this to me yesterday. And I just thought this was perfect. I need my glasses for this. Um, she did not send this to me because she thought of me. She actually sent this to me because she, it really, she's reading a book called um, Holy Unhappiness. It's called God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. So it's like deconstructing the blessed life um, and our expectations of it. And so she just totally shatters how romance, you know, can sort of pull you out of that, that rut or that um, sort of the repetitive nature of life. Um, so the woman who's writing this, her husband, is his name is Tim. So she's writing about herself and Tim. Okay. <laughs> the privilege Tim and I have always enjoyed as a couple is that we chose each other. We met through mutual friends at a Christmas party, and we fell in love rather quickly. The first time we spoke on the phone, we talked until a cell phone battery died. It was all very romantic. I like that. Um, and she and she's she's all for romance, and so she's not. I mean, yeah, she's very grateful for her husband. But you know, just listen. And I'm grateful to say that on many days that romance is still there. But then, of course, there are days when it is not. We live in a world where we're told that love, whether in marriage or in friendship, is only as good as our emotional experience of it. If the relationship doesn't bring emotional fulfillment, then it must be bad. If our friendship doesn't always buoy the ego, then it must be a failure. If my husband doesn't bring about, bring about all my hopes and my dreams, then he must be wrong for me. But emotional pain is always a risk of proximity, whether that proximity exists in marriage, friendship, discipleship, or teamwork. Over the years, Tim and I have grown closer to each other. We've grown closer to one another's virtues, closer to one another's vices. 
closer to one another's strengths and weaknesses, closer to one another's humanity. The fact that I argue with Tim more than anybody else in my life is a testament not to his flaws or not to his character, those abound, not the flaws, but the character, but rather to the amount of time that we spend with each other. We share most meals, we spend every weekend together, we sleep in the same bed. Disagreements are bound to arise. It's just the mathematics of immediacy, the hazards of nearness. So truth be told, here it is, much of my frustration at my spouse is not so much disappointment with him as much as it is the frustration with life. Because we do so much of life together, I identify Tim with all the hard, tiring, and paltry demands existence places on us. When the dishwasher breaks, I call Tim. When the toilet clogs, I call Tim. When an unexpected bill breaks our budget, I call Tim. When we, we've seen each other with six stomach bugs, and we've cleaned each other's vomit up. There are deeper emotional wounds that also I associate with Tim. We've joined and we've left churches together. We've experienced three miscarriages together. We've grieved the loss of siblings together, and we've grieved the loss of grandparents and friends as well. When life gets hard, Tim is not my enemy, but he is the easiest target. He's guilty by association. And she goes on from there, right? But you can just hear, it's like the repetitive nature of life, it, 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 it invades everything. Like even if, so, if we think romance is going to be my salvation, my my way out of the repetitive nature of life, no, it's going to be a part of that as well, right? And just one other example of how you cannot escape the repetitive nature of life. Put up a slide. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe you think, okay, that convinces me romance is not the way out. But what about you know? What about this? What about if Chris said, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to pay for you for an all-expenses-paid paid luxurious vacation at this place, right? Beach, palm trees, incredible food, no work, read books, watch your shows, right? How would you feel if I said, I'm going to send you there for a week, right? It would be like, like, this is awesome. Sign me up. Love it. And then how would you feel if I said, all right, I'm signing you up for five years, <laughs> right? I know some of you are like, well, let me at least try it, Chris, and you pay for it. <laughs> but I can pretty much guarantee you that somewhere between a week and five years, you're going to start to feel the repetitive nature of even this, right? Even leisure, even comfort, even our wildest ideas of a good time or a vacation, they become repetitive. They become monotonous. We cannot escape it. Right? Oscar Wilde said this, Pleasures may turn a heart to stone, riches may make it callous, but sorrows cannot break it. I, I, and I, you know, especially those first two, pleasures can turn a heart to stone and riches can, riches can make it callous. I think that's captured a little bit by my parable. Right? The repetitive nature of life, it just seeps and creeps into everything. It's inevitable. Um, so, okay, so where does this leave us? Right? Where does the preacher, the dismantler, leave us? Um, he does get to the main point in chapter 12 of why, why he's doing all this. And actually, this is not his main point. I'm not even going to reveal the main point. If you want, you, we'll get to it eventually on Friday night. But if you want, I encourage you to read, read the book and see where he gets to eventually toward the end of the book. But the, the verse that I want to just um, land on here um, is this verse in chapter 12. So it's a little bit before the main point. He says, 
well, I'm not sure if it's the, the dismantler or the preacher or the sort of the commentator, but that's another story. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. And this is a goad. This is actually a, um, it's a blackthorn cattle goad from Northern Ireland. Um, and the idea is that, you know, farmers use it to, you know, with cattle and oxen to sort of prod them along to get them to go in the place that they ought to go. Right? A little painful for them, but at least it's effective to getting them to go to the right place. Um, and and that, the sayings of the wise, the sayings of the dismantler, that's the purpose. He, he's goading us. He's, he's, he's plucking the bubbles of our reality that we think are reality, like that this is real life. And he's just popping them and showing us, actually, that is not you know, real life. That is not reality, right? Life is short. Life is elusive. Life is repetitive. And we forget that, or we don't see it, or we just blind ourselves to it. And so he's trying to pop those things with the hope of getting us to go in the right direction, in the right place. That's what he's up to. And it's a, it's a hard task for him because, you know, we're just, I'm out of it. I'm just not a very teachable person sometimes. I don't want to listen to somebody like this who thinks that he knows more than I do. Um, but he is trying to push us closer to God. And he's doing it in a unique way. He's not, he's not saying like, okay, here's God. Do you see how God is good, how God is faithful, how God is holy, how God is just, how God is merciful? I mean, that's how a lot of the Bible tries to pull us closer to God. I mean, think of the New Testament, right? Um, much of the New Testament is hearing the story about what God has done for us in Jesus, that we need a Savior, that he died and he rose again to demonstrate that he is that Savior, and that he loved us, and he went to the extent where he gave his life for us on the cross. And so we can trust him for forgiveness, and we can be brought into the family of God, right? And, and then a life surrendered to him is a life surrendered out of joy and gratitude for what he's done for us. Like, a lot of that is what you hear in the New Testament. But the dismantler or the preacher, he's, he's trying to get us to go to the same type of place. But he's coming at it from a different angle, right? Uh, he, he's, he, it's a very roundabout way. He's saying, look, do you see that you and I, that we inhabit a world that is short, elusive, and repetitive? And, 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 and what does that mean for how you understand your life? What does that mean for how you understand your priorities, your goals, your purpose, your meaning, right? And I, I love the question, go to the next slide. He asked this question in, 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 the, in our passage, what does man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun, right? It, it's, it's as if the stuff of this world, the stuff under the sun, what this mantler is saying is like, what is the best that you and I can hope for if we get the stuff out of the sun, like what will we gain if we get it, right? What's our lasting reward? And, and, and if the best gain is heaven, it, it is fleeting, it's breath and vapor, then, then why are we chasing after these things with such strength and energy, right? And, and we all do it. So, like, let's just admit it, we're all in that world, 
And he's trying to just pop that bubble to get us a little bit out of that world and point it in a different direction. The, the picture that the dismantler gives us is, is we're chasing the wind, right? And we're hoping that if I chase it and track it down, I'll grab and hold on to the wind. That's the, that's the image, right? And so you hear that and you say, we are lost. Like, we are in need of rescue. We are in need of salvation, a savior, salvation. We, could it be, right, that the dismantler's words, that what he's aiming to do is to expose the reality that what we need is something or someone who can come, who is from beyond this world, to show us what the deeper realities of life really are. So I, that's where he's taking us. And so I encourage you, just keep coming back and, and let's find out more of what he's saying to us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, each one gathered here tonight and that we can gather together, that we can sing, that we can pray, um, that we can come together in Jesus' name. And, uh, and I thank you for each one too. Just the hearing the words of the preacher these are hard, but Lord, even, even if we're struggling, we say with, with some conviction uh, that, that there is truth to what he is saying. And what does that mean for how we live our lives and how we think about our goals and our priorities and where we stand before you? I, I pray that you would continue to open up our hearts to his message, and I pray that you would continue to lead us in paths of wisdom that truly see this world for what it is and come to a place where we, we see you more clearly and um, we, can, we can worship you and trust you more fully. Lord, I, I pray that for each one here. And I pray that you would have mercy and grace on us. And we can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.